This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Nepotism. That's a word we've been hearing a lot lately. Whether it's during the backlash against YB Nurul Iza when she was appointed by Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim to be his economic advisor, or even when we discuss celebrity culture. But what exactly is nepotism? Is it ethical? I'm Dashran Johan and this is Today I Learned. On the show with me today is Arvind Durayraj, Community Director at Malaysian Philosophy Society. Welcome to the show, Arvind. Thank you for the invite. I'm excited to be here and to talk about the topic today. Very excited to dive into this with you as well. So let's start with the basics. Um, what is nepotism? Fascinating question, isn't it? Always we go to the definitions first. So <laughs> essentially, nepotism, the, the word itself, if you look at the etymology, it kind of comes from the Latin word uh, nepos, which actually means nephew. And it uh, actually goes back to the practice of Catholic popes back in the day, appointing their nephews to high positions in the church because uh, a pope can't have children of their own. So right. the word nepos means nephew. So that's kind of where it comes from. But the basic idea behind it is privileging people who are related to you, people who are in your family uh, in some way through your own power of influence. That, that, that I think stays constant throughout the context. There are plenty of prominent examples of nepotism, right? Let's take the Indian film industry, for example, specifically Hindi cinema, more commonly known as Bollywood. Actor Prithvi Raj Kapoor had six children, including influential filmmaker and actor Raj Kapoor. Now, Raj Kapoor had kids like actor Rishi Kapoor. And Rishi Kapoor's son is currently one of Bollywood's biggest and highest paid actors. He is, of course, Ranbir Kapoor. We're looking at multiple generations here. And then when we switch to Hollywood, it's, it's more or less the same. You have the likes of Miley Cyrus, Jaden Smith, and many, many more examples. So it's not uncommon. What can we learn from literature and philosophy about the ethics of nepotism? That's a pretty deep question, uh, <laughs> and it is an important one, I think, because nepotism is a very widespread practice from since a very long time. I mean, we, talk, we talked about the Pope just now, right. that's at least a thousand years ago. And fundamentally, right, at the heart of it, why it happens is very simply because of our sense of duty or perhaps our love, if you want to call it that, towards our family at its very basic level. It's almost an instinctual thing. Right? People want to help their family or their family members in some way. And nepotism is really just the word we've given to that practice. And at a personal level, it's fine. I think everyone agrees that it, there's nothing wrong with helping your family members. The problem arises when you are now someone of note. You are someone who has some level of power and you are using that power to help the people around you. So there becomes a conflict between your duty to your office, let's say if you want to talk about a government uh, kind of context, and duty to your family. So there's a couple of uh, different perspectives here. If we want to start with sort of the Western uh, philosophy, so to right, speak, right. there is something called consequentialism. Right. right. Essentially, what that means is that in, in morality, in ethics, you decide whether something is right or not based on the consequences. Mm. So what is the result? From that perspective, you could argue that nepotism isn't so great because right. you end up with an organization or with a group of people who are loyal to each other, but not necessarily loyal to the office. Right. right? So 
they, they act in the interest of the family. They might act in the interest of each other. But are they actually, let's say, if you, if you talk about a government, are they actually thinking of the people mm. who they might not be related to? So that, that's one consequence of this perspective. Another view is deontology, duty. It is this idea of a rules-based morality. So you follow a rule, you know, do or die, you just follow that, and that's right. Here, you get a genuine conflict because there's a rule to help your family, and then there is a rule about doing your job properly. So, so it, it doesn't really give us an answer as much as a conflict, really. So which, which do you prioritize? And the third view is something called virtue ethics, right. which is uh, morality based on values. If you, if you think about Padidika model, right, like what mm -hmm. we all learn, it's, it's basically this, where people uh, should orient their moral lives around specific values. So there's a value of love of family, and then there's a value of responsibility. So it, this also, unfortunately, doesn't give us uh, much of a clear answer, but it does spell out what the problem is, so to speak. If you're an Eastern philosophy, so uh, in our discussion just now, Dashan, you mentioned Confucius, right. who actually talked about this, uh, uh, specifically about appointing people who are not qualified, right? Mm -hmm. And similarly, uh, in the Indian tradition, if you want South India, for example, you have uh, Tirubalur, who said something similar. He said, if you appoint someone because you love him or you like him, instead of because of his qualifications, you're going to end up in a lot of pain down the road. So the, that's kind of the Eastern perspective. And if you look at uh, history and sort of uh, the civil service in ancient China. Right. So it started off as something that is very family-based. So it, it's a heavily clan-based society. The emperor would appoint his relatives because his relatives are supposed to be more loyal than, say, the average Joe on the road. And unfortunately, that led to significant amounts of corruption. It led to a lot of people who didn't know how to do their jobs, being in positions uh, that they were in because of connections. And when they tried to reform that, they came up with uh, the sort of the eunuch system right. and the genuine civil service system where people had to pass exams to get into government service. So that's kind of, you know, history and philosophy and a, and a bit of literature, I guess, on, on nepotism as a concept. What would you say is the cost of nepotism to society? At the very basic level, one is it restricts opportunity. Mm. So, because you're basically saying, I'm going to privilege this person to this position because they are related to me. So everyone who's not related to you, regardless of how good they are, is not going to get that opportunity. That is the unfortunate result of nepotism. Right. But another unfortunate thing is that we live in a sort of capitalist society. If you think about it, uh, the American dream, right? That's a that's the catchphrase. <laughs> the idea that everyone can achieve what they want in life if they work hard, if they're right. talented enough. Right. Nepotism spits in the face of that. It basically says, no, you know, I, I, I do not uh, care how talented you are, but I do care if you're related. You see? So that, that is sort of the cause of society. It demotivates people from trying to work hard. And there is genuine evidence of this, you know, back in the day, if you went to, say, France before the revolution, before they changed from monarchy to a republic, before they had democracy, if you are a, a, a normal person, you know, maybe you're a farmer, your dad was a farmer, you're born a farmer, you're going to spend your life as a farmer. There is no social mobility for you. You can forget about that. You know, and, and that's essentially what nepotism does to society. Yeah. Now, the criticism, Arvind, of nepotism often revolves around 
how untalented people get to get to be where they are because of who they know, not what they know. And I think this you touched on this um, when you were bringing uh, bringing up the Eastern philosophy of nepotism or the Eastern um, philosophical critique of nepotism. But what if if the person is talented, right, Arvind? What if the person has merit? What if the person is hardworking? For example, mm-hmm. when Nuraliza was hired by the her father, which is the prime minister, um, yeah. as to be the economic advisor, not many people, there were some, but not many, were arguing mm-hmm. against Nurul Iza's capabilities per se. Um, everybody yeah. agreed that she's a highly capable and she's very popular, very known politicians mm-hmm. among the masses. But the critique was specifically because Anwar appointed her own daughter. How do you see this? What if the person is talented? That's actually a great question, Darshan. And it, it does very much apply to Nuro Isa's case. There's a few things. One thing I, I, I will sort of uh, back to differ with is not everyone agreed on Nuro Isa's capabilities. At least from my survey of sort of social media and news reports, her qualifications and her expertise is more towards human rights. Because she, she herself is an electronical engineer, actually. Uh, she graduated from, I think, University Tanaga. And her, she did sort of a master's uh, in, I think, international relations. So you, you take that and then you take her work in politics, which focus more on human rights, on rights of political detainees or religious detainees. And you kind of mesh that together and it doesn't necessarily equal economics, which is what uh, a DSA I kind of chose her to, to advise. So I think in qualifications, it isn't a 100% thing, but I agree she is someone who's hardworking. She is someone who is motivated. I think I think those things everyone can agree on. And frankly, I think even if you put her in a role where she doesn't have much qualification, she is going to end up working hard enough so that she's good enough to do her job. Yeah, I, I think I think most people will actually think that. But the question: Is it fair to discriminate against someone? just because they're well-connected. It's kind of opposite argument, isn't it? Usually you'll say people are discriminated against because they're poor. But what if you're discriminated against because you're rich or because you're well-connected? It's a general question. And uh, I, I have sort of a parallel story. Uh, some, I think last year, uh, that I kind of attended a talk by Nazir Razak. So he's uh, Najib Razak's younger brother, actually. Right, right. And this was interesting because he is kind of a corporate figure. He, he ran into the banking sector. And when he was talking to us, some people asked him, you know, isn't this nepotism? You know, your brother's the prime minister and, and you're such a high-ranking corporate official. And he was like, I joined the service even before my brother was the prime minister. So how is it fair to criticize me and, and my accomplishments because of who I am related to? But perception matters. Because in any situation where there's nepotism, there will always be the question, are they here? As you mentioned, are they here because of their skill or are they here because of their marriage? Many people did uh, argue that, that Nurul Iza, uh, while she doesn't, doesn't have uh, you know, qualifications in economics per, uh, per se, um, it, she yes. is someone who will try to work the economy for the regular person on the ground. Right? Like that's, yes. that's one of the other um, side of the thing. But, but yeah, this idea is you know, regularly framed as an outsider versus insider. But I'm wondering if we should look at things like equity, equality, mm-hmm. and how 
you know, you brought up this this Nazir Raza example, how nepotism mm. is particularly harmful in a capitalist society. Again, that's true. That, that, that is such a fascinating question. Yeah, thank you so much for asking it. Because uh, this kind of goes back, I think, to the American dream kind of idea, right? As you mentioned, capitalist democratic society. The key sort of values, right, in, in such a society is freedom, right? Is the equality of opportunity and this fundamental idea that you can achieve what you want if you work hard enough. All you need to be is talented and all you need to do is work hard. But there is a genuine question when it comes to equity because not everyone has the same starting point. Right. You cannot compare, say, the son of a millionaire who has access to the best tuition, who has access to the best uh, materials, you know, reading materials, best teachers, best schools, against someone, you know, the average Joe who grew up in a middle-class family, went to a government school, didn't really go for tuition. And you can't say, oh, the rich kid is more talented because he scored higher in maths. Yeah, he scored higher in maths, but how many hours of extra tuition did he get compared to the other kid? And it is true because now there's a question. Do you only look at the merit, the qualifications or the result, or do you also look at the background, the context? Because it, it's, it's such a, I think, confusing question also, because let's say you need to get a job done, mm-hmm. right? You, you, let's say you need to have a math problem solved. Do you choose the guy who scored 99, has an amazing, you know, very lucky background, or the guy who's called 85, but came from a very poor background. Who, who do you choose? If you want to get the job done, ideally you should choose the guy with the highest mark. But then what about the other guy? He's shown he can work in very adverse circumstances and achieve a great deal. So I think sort of the criticism, uh, if we want to reorient towards Nuru Iza's case mm-hmm. specifically, is yes, her father is a prime minister. And it is... You know, it is an unfortunate truth that she has probably had more privileges and more opportunity in the political scene since a very young age. I mean, she joined politics when she was very, very young, right after I think her, her father was imprisoned at that time. And she's got a much better exposure and privilege than anyone else. You know, there could be an average show on the street who wants to join politics and he will not have 10% of the chances she has gotten in her life. It's true. It's not necessarily a question I have an answer to, unfortunately. And that is, uh, I think, the nature of philosophy. We ask questions. We, we aren't necessarily the best answerers. Uh, but I think it's important to think about it. And it's important to think about what kind of society we want. On the show with me today is Arvind Durayraj, Community Director at the Malaysian Philosophy Society. After the break, we continue our discussion on nepotism. Keep it here on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Today I Learned. I'm Dr. Johan and on the show with me today is Arvind Tureraj, Community Director at the Malaysian Philosophy Society and we're talking about nepotism. So Arvind, when we, when we discuss the, the question of nepotism, mm. so let's say yes. if you grew up you know, in, in a middle class family or what, for example, mm-hmm. but both your parents are journalists, um, you yep. grow up listening and, and reading up on current affairs because both your parents okay. are journalists. Yes. And yes. yes. So you acquire okay. skills naturally from your parents. Mm-hmm. When you go to journalism school, you automatically have an edge. And 
you already have connections perhaps to people in yes. the media because your parents friends are people in the mm-hmm. media how do you navigate this sort of examples uh what you've just mentioned right sort of the the idea of someone growing up let's say in a family of journalists having greater exposure greater skills was the genuine argument used to support the caste system because you you have a, a family really that is brought up around a trade you know the, the father knows it the mother knows it the son knows it everybody knows it you have amazing connections and you are exposed from the moment you are born so you can think of the amount of skills this guy has compared to someone else when you say going to journalism school or, or even if you have let's say someone who grew up in a family of doctors you know and, and they go to medical school they have an age perhaps not not a lot maybe you can argue but there is an age absolutely and that that's also something i mentioned the monarchy example at the very beginning it's the same thing they they argue that because you have a kid who has been brought up since a young age to be a leader you know he's been taught you know the best things about leadership he's looked at as bad he lives and breathes politics and leadership and and this would be the best possible king you can have however again it comes back down to the questions of opportunity equality and fairness because if only one family ever gets to rule if only one family ever becomes doctors what about everyone else there is this very interesting argument a very long time ago by a philosopher about how to eliminate this problem children should be brought up by the state rather than by their parents so there's right. a very controversial argument you know uh, even at the time but he basically said it, instead of parents bringing up the children and therefore passing on all those inequalities right their their wealth and their connections separate the child the government brings them up and it's perfectly fair that's so fascinating these kids, yeah th- these kids come out and and it's a completely fair starting point but of course i think in nowadays society no one is going to say yes because yeah. everyone loves their children too much but those are kind of ideas that people were toying around with back in the day because this is not a new problem mm-hmm. it, it has existed since you, you know the the very beginning it, because you can even look at it from like a evolutionary like biology perspective or, or like an instinct perspective you know everything starts with the family you you build the family and you look after the family and, and that's why everything grows and expands and it, it also relates to things like uh tribalism right like people in tribes uh, and and sort of uh shaping the identity around the tribe it comes out of this so nepotism this is of course our specific topic for today but in a broader context it's it's just a question of groups you know right. humans like being in groups and helping Absolutely. each other in that group that that's what it is um you know mm. at one point um royalty were the the primary ruling class the monarchs were the primary ruling class of society now it yes. has become elite politicians um are mm-hmm. we looking at at the same sort of dynamics here where you know once you, you have more and more nepotism then we are we are looking at family dynasties um and is mm-hmm. if so uh, do you think it's problematic i think it's something that's very difficult to get rid of first of all because of sort of human nature and how society is structured but i do think it's problematic even like uh, i think you you brought up sort of the bollywood example just now right you know when i was reading up for this topic one thing i i read up on is that there have been cases of uh, bullying outsiders you know yes. by sort of the, these uh movie families if mm-hmm. you want to call them that and i'm i'm sure even in politics there's something like this in malaysia alone we have i think three maybe four 
political families. You know, you have the Mahade family, you've got Mahade and his son Chris, both in politics. You have the sort of uh, I think Oni Jafar and Abdul Raza family, and that's right. like you know Najib Raza. That's mm-hmm. uh, I think two at least three previous prime ministers, all from the same family. And right. you have like for the opposition, you have linkets, yeah. Right, and yeah. you have Lim Guanang, and you have his sister. That's yes. all three in politics. There's with also me. a lot of intermarriages within politics. For exactly. Kairi exactly. Jamaluddin is related to Abdullah Ahmad Badawi through marriage yes. and, and things like yes. that. So it's it's exactly. basically as if or it's like a bunch of family people running the political sphere. Yes. Absolutely, and, but at the same time, you, you can't really blame them, right? Because these people grew up with with this uh, circumstances and and this atmosphere and this exposure. You can't blame them from choosing politics as such, but you cannot deny that it creates a problem. Mm-hmm. Because now there is a perception that, that politics is a family business, so to speak. There is a perception that it is much harder for everyone else to play. And that is dangerous in a democratic society. Because in a democratic society, you want everybody actively participating in the political life. They don't necessarily have to be politicians. But they need to be able to believe that their voice matters and that the people up there represent them. Because now there's a question. There's whatever the, you know, for example, for Abdul Razak family, you know, anyone from the family, are they doing what they're doing for their family's benefit or for the people's benefit? Right. You know, so let's say, of course, we, we don't know if this will happen. Let's say we have uh, a prime minister or, or an official and he's in the position where he has to fire his own brother. Maybe mm-hmm. it's his son, maybe it's his daughter, maybe it's his uh, you know, uncle or cousin, can they do it? You know, because uh, th- this is where it all matters together and becomes complicated. So how how do you balance your personal relationships with your professional duties and still be fair and be perceived as fair? Equally important. Arvin, like you said, nepotism, um, the debate, the philosophical debate about around nepotism mm-hmm. has always been part of culture and society. Thousands of years, you're talking even Confucius yes. and all of this have talked about it. Exactly. So what's unique about the time period we're in right now? What's causing this cultural backlash towards nepotism across the globe, against politicians, against celebrities, athletes? People are digging up their their information, seeing, oh, this person yes. is related to that person, is related to this person. It, it's yes. only reason, this is a reason phenomenon, that, that kind of mainstream mm-hmm. cultural backlash the term Nepo babies, for example, is, is something that yes. is circulating uh, Hollywood. What's unique about the time period we're in right now? I think the main one, one is just democracy. It started recently. And, it, and so at least in Malaysia, I think democracy has only really matured maybe in the past uh, 20, maybe 10 years, uh, where, where it really became proper democracy with everyone sort of talking and debating mm-hmm. and, and exchanging opinions. And I think with that rise in political consciousness is when people start paying attention to these things, right? Because now you live in an era where everyone really has the opportunity to be anything you want versus a thousand years ago. I mean, Confucius' son probably couldn't be an emperor even if he you know, tried really, really hard. It just wasn't going to happen. Whereas now, if someone wants to be a prime minister, it is a possibility. It can potentially happen. It's hard. I, I I don't disagree, but it can happen. And that has really, I think, motivated people to speak out against these things because they now have a bigger stake in the matter, right? You, you have a genuine chance at, say, becoming a politician. You don't want any particular family to have a monopoly now because it's going to impact you. It's going to impact, say, your descendants. And 
Yeah, so I think that's why it's a significant issue now. And also, uh, this is another point I want to raise, is social media. Right. You know, the, the ease of access to information, to communication. Like I saw a really lovely family chart, uh, a sort of family tree of the On Jafar family on Reddit. Right. You know, of all places. And, and that's kind of where it came out. And you realize that it's very easy for people to exchange this information now. It's much harder to hide these things than it used to. And I think that's a major reason why it's a significant issue now. On top of much being much harder to hide it, I'm also wondering whether things are just getting worse. Uh, and what I mean mm. by that is, like, do you, I'm wondering if, do you, do you think one of the reasons why many are feeling this sense of frustration right now it's because when capitalism start, you know, started to become like this global thing, there's only one way mm-hmm. and no other ways, and it's a global capitalist system. Over the past yes. four decades especially, it's becoming mm-hmm. increasingly obvious that it's the same old man running culture and running societies. Yes. Um, when we look at the major, um, all the major politicians across the world, most of them are the same mm-hmm. old guys or people related to them. When we look at the owners mm-hmm. of the biggest movie studios in the world, it's that same old guys. Now on top of that, inequalities have risen, um, inequities have risen, and it's becoming more and more, or at least it feels more and more as if it's only the childrens and their friends and, you know, family friends of, of these industry players who get to break into the industry and the rest of us mm-hmm. are just bl- completely blocked off. I think, yeah, actually, that, that is a fair point. It's, it's, a, it's a, con, a sort of a contradiction, I guess, because people are told that they have the opportunity. But when they look at reality, it's like, I don't think I actually have the opportunity. You know, And, and that's, I think, what makes people want to voice out against it and then fight for it. The reason there is that perception is because there is that reality. I think there are certain segments of society or, you know, for example, politics, that is legitimately blocked. You know, that when, uh, I think I talked about the Bollywood sort of example just now, where you have a group of families actually blocking people off if, if they are not part of the inside group. You know, it's a thing. And well, that's why we don't want nepotism. Because you engender this problem. You engender a problem where a particular sector of society is controlled by a group of people and it is dominated and and monopolized by this group of people. And it creates a problem for the rest of society because you can't have any more innovation. The pro is that there's stability. You have one group of people running the same thing for a long period of time. Great. The con is they're going to do the exact same thing for the next 20 years. And the guy's son is going to do the same thing and probably his grandson also. So there is stagnation, and that is a genuine danger in any diverse society, in any world that is rapid-paced and fast-changing. You cannot have stagnation. You need new ideas and new people, and it's just not going to gel. I want to circle back to Nurul Iza as we wind down this conversation mm-hmm. because she the, the 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 backlash surrounding her appointment was essentially the inspiration behind this topic. Um. You know, okay. when we, t- we talk about how nepotism isn't something new. Now, nepotism in Malaysian politics is also not something new. Um, you mm-hmm. brought up great examples just now. We have been discussing the various politicians. 
So what do you think is so significant about the Nurul Iza appointment specifically, which caused tremendous outrage, mm-hmm. not just by the current opposition, which is Prikata National, that yep. outrage is definitely to be expected, but mm-hmm. by Pakatan Harapan and Keadilan's very own supporters. Because on social media, you had so many PKR members who said, I am a PKR member. And I cannot stand for this. What What is so um, significant about Nurul Iza's appointment? It is a similar point to sort of the old man argument. Of it. When I talked about reality and perception, it's a similar thing. You see, Anwar's brand has always been reformation. It's been transparency, anti-corruption, anti-nepotism. That comes, you know, it comes part and parcel with the anti-corruption. And his appointment of Nurul Iza, right, as his, you know, economic... Uh, advisor. It, it's basically what he's been preaching against. That's basically what he's done. He, he said, don't privilege your relatives or your children, and then he's gone and given his daughter a, a significant position in government. I agree that she's not taking a salary, right? But I agree that maybe you know, she's working pro bono, so to speak, but the perception, you know, you, you've given essentially your daughter, who has just lost her election uh, to be an MP, a position in town. Yeah. What are people going to think? And I think the anger really came from a sort of frustration. Because for the past 40, no, sorry, past, uh, I wouldn't say 60, at least for the past three, four, maybe five governments, people have gotten almost numbed by hypocrisy. You know, the, the, a leader will say something and he'll do something else. People genuinely expected something different from Anwar. And when he turns around and does the exact same thing, people are going to be like, you know, of all people, you promised us something more and something different and something that we could stand behind. Mm-hmm. See, so I think in many ways it's almost like a, a moral anger if you want to call it if you want to call it that. Before we wrap this conversation up, Arvin, we have some final thoughts on nepotism. Um, we've discussed a lot the history, um, the cost to society, and and all of that. In a nutshell, um. Can, can we avoid nepotism and is nepotism mm-hmm. um, bad for society? Can we avoid nepotism? I think with how society is structured right now, very difficult. We, we can reduce it. We can reduce the impact with certain measures, but we cannot completely avoid it. And I think unless we want to take the suggestion just now, kids are all brought up by the government. We take <laughs> something drastic, you know, like that. I don't think uh, we are going to see the end of nepotism. But I think there have been some sort of uh, measures, right, that have been taken, you know, limiting, uh, for example, in the Catholic Pope example, one of the later popes actually came around and he, he issued sort of a, an order saying that popes from then on can only appoint one relative. See, so he kind of limited the impact of it. And I think something like that needs to be formally instituted. I think it would be really good if we had an official policy on nepotism, if we said that uh, government officials can maybe only appoint one or two properly qualified relatives to say important positions in government, or even if you completely banned it, although I'm not sure how that would work. But a limit certainly is uh, something to think about. Is it bad for society? Yes. I think in modern society, the way we are structured, with free opportunity and capitalism and that can-do attitude, it is demoralizing to have something like that. And society would be served best if it wasn't that. 
But seeing as we can't completely eliminate it, we should do our very best to reduce it. We, we need to have a hard think about what kind of society we want to build and make the necessary moves so that that comes in. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today. That was Arvind Ture Raj, Community Director at Malaysian Philosophy Society. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can check out the podcast on the BFM app, bfm.my or pretty much wherever you get your podcast from. I'm Darshan Johan and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.